Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, the last week of the regular season for USC football. We're going to talk about the victory over California, the weekender last weekend. We got a lot of questions from you guys about the future of the program. We're going to try to address all of that with Keely Yor in studio and Dan Weber on the line. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com is the email address, or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the various podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, Megaphone, any place you can get a podcast. You can subscribe. Do subscribe. It's great to go right to your phone or your device. Listen to the podcast whenever you want. We do like three, four, five of these a week, so you should have plenty of USC content right there on your phone. And while you're there... Five-star rating, positive reviews, all of that really helps. Let's jump right in. We got Keely Yore sitting next to me. What's up, Keely? How are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Very excited that it's Rivalry Week. I am already preemptively sad, though, that we're close to the end of the season. It went by so fast. It did go by very quickly. And uh, you guys just got back from your road trip, which looked like a lot of fun, up to Cal. Now, you know, finish it off with a home game, and then who yep. knows... Maybe some fireworks after that. Uh, we also got Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. Hey. Uh, I had a great trip back, uh, uh, 6 o'clock flight after the game, and uh, got to be on the same flight with uh, Petros Papadakis. So, uh, lucky me. Any uh, any insights from that conversation? Did you get to chat with him at all? No. I, I did mention the fact that we both seem to be uh, when you get the late night game, the best strategy is to get the first flight out of Dodge and and get home as, as soon as possible. So uh, so that's what we did. Six o'clock flight out of uh, Oakland. Can't get out of there any sooner. And that's uh, that was the strategy. So we both agreed that's the way to go. Yeah. So uh, no, no um, lingering, no stay. Yeah. You just have to kind of get out of there as soon as you can. The right idea. Yeah. Yeah. Berkeley is uh, Berkeley. And. Yeah. Dad's pretty good at like not sleeping before he flies out of there. I don't so just... know how he does it. For the ASU game, he drove at four in the morning to ASU on Saturday. He's a trooper. He, yeah. he powers through. It's crazy. Nice. But that's not, the, that's not the best part of that. Did you drive as back? As soon as I filed my story, I got in the car and I drove home. <gasps> Dan, I, to- I was <laughs> worried about you, but yeah. he didn't follow up because I was worried. But I did. I, 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 hit, I grew up. In Cincinnati, and we always thought we were like right in the middle of all the college football games. Uh, you, you, you know, you could drive to Columbus and Ann Arbor and South Bend and West Lafayette and uh, Lexington and Louisville and Knoxville and Nashville, and it was just kind of a habit. You just take off for the wherever the best game was, and when the game was over, you'd turn around and drive home. So uh, it's a little longer drive mostly out here. Uh, but uh, those two, uh, you know, uh, Northern California and uh, Phoenix are kind of comparable. So, uh, so I sometimes uh, take a shot at, uh, at at doing what I used to do. See, see what I'm saying? I don't know how he does it. Pretty crazy. Yeah. 
He's got he's got more energy than I do when he does that <laughs> stuff. I'd be uh, passed out going mm-hmm. to sleep. Um, well, we got a lot to get to today. We got a bunch of your questions, to, and we want to talk about the game. There's, you know, future of the program stuff. Of course, that's what everyone is kind of concerned about. I want to tell you guys about Trader Joe's before we jump all into it. Your last chance to tailgate in the Coliseum before the end of the season. It's crazy, but yes, you can go to Trader Joe's over at the USC Village, pick up anything you need for said tailgate and make sure you check it out. Now it's an early game. So get over there. Maybe you want some breakfast materials from Trader Joe's, uh, you know, some mimosas, you might get some uh, Prosecco or some champagne, a little juice, whatever you want there. But also the holidays, you got, you know, Thanksgiving coming up. Now I'm a big pie guy and I've tried the Trader Joe's pumpkin pie and it's legit to the point where like, I like making pies or having people make homemade pies, but I think I would just kind of go with the Trader Joe's homemade pumpkin pie. I always want extra pumpkin pie and they have a recipe on their website for a pumpkin pie milkshake, which that looks pretty awesome. Wow. So you buy the pumpkin pie, you can like have a couple pieces and then you can break some of it up and make it into a milkshake. So make sure you go check that stuff out. But I, yeah, I can't wait. I got to do, my mom's coming into town this week. We're going to head over to Trader Joe's and do all our uh, Thanksgiving shopping. So looking forward to that. I don't, I don't know if you like the pumpkin pie, Keels. Or... Well, by the way, we had a listener. We talked last week about the corn pudding. We had a yes. listener go out and buy it. And then oh. I asked for his review because he seemed funny. And he was. He said it was Darren. And he said, first off, we baked it in the oven, chose to pass on the microwave option. The initial taste test got out to a 14 point lead and never let up, unlike other things in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I'd give it a strong 7.58. Definitely a solid side dish. Props to Dan Weber for the request. Oh. So, corn pudding has high reviews. Nice. As it should. I got <laughs> nice. the only one. We have the only one uh, at our Trader Joe's uh, that was left. So, uh, they're supposed to be restocking it. So, uh, that's the plan. Nice. There we go. All right. Well, we got to start talking about this game. You guys were up there. I was, you know, watching on my couch, which it's it's kind of a neat experience. Like when you listen to the radio broadcast and watch the TV thing and watch Twitter, like you're kind of getting three different versions of the game. Wow. But you guys were there. You're in person. Uh, maybe Keely, start with you. Any sort of a uh, reaction uh, now that you've had time to kind of, I don't know if you got to rewatch it yet, but just uh, what, what you thought, Keels? Well, first off, the 8 p.m. start was a little brutal. I know it's one, only one hour later than the 7 p.m. start, but everyone in the press box just seemed a little sluggish and grumpy. <laughs> it was just a different vibe. But Larry Scott was on hand to witness Pac-12 After Dark, which I thought was interesting. The yeah. thing that stood out to me besides the game was Mike Bone was there for his first appearance uh, at a USC game. Uh, he was pregame, making the rounds, talking to USC fans through uh, up on the the seats and then he was walking around talking to everyone even stopped to talk to me which is he doesn't have to do that which is crazy and then after the game he was celebrating with the the players uh it was really interesting to see him kind of being very involved and even if you look at the youtube the usc account they put like sights and sounds from cal and he was talking to michael pittman he just seems very involved and so uh, i'm continuing to be impressed so far by mike bones so much like what lin swan would do Um, or maybe the exact opposite maybe not (laughs) sorry um, what about you, Dan? Any, any thoughts? Well, I think the one thing that comes through when you watch that game is that this is the Cal team. They were you know, re- returning to health with Chase Garber, who, who's re- become a pretty good quarterback, who'd missed uh, the last month. And this was a team that I guess they got as high as 15th in the AP rankings earlier after their you know, 4-0 start. And as you watch the game, you realize – USC just has a whole lot more talent than Cal. I mean, the difference in ability 
and, and athleticism is pretty stark. I mean, and, and, and that kind of hurt Cal because Cal had given up, what, nine touchdown passes in nine games, and they were pretty confident their secondary was going to hold up. And they just got shredded. I mean, they couldn't run with the USC guys, jump with them, do anything with them, and they couldn't get to the quarterback much. I mean, probably more than they should have, but not enough to really, uh, you know, with, with USC throwing the ball deep and throwing it down the field and that, there just wasn't much Cal could do. And you do realize in games like that that USC can be pretty good and has got a lot of young talent that's really good. And if you try to match up with them, I mean, USC, three of USC's four touchdown passes went to a six-foot-six guy, Josh Fowler, a six-foot-five guy, Drake London, and a six-four guy, Michael Pittman. I mean, if you're lining up some, you know, five-foot-ten-inch corner across from, say, Drake London or whoever, they pretty much don't have a great deal of chance. And, and, and they've gotten to the point now where Keaton Slovis has thrown – I mean, I, you got to give them credit in practice. They do throw the long ball. They threw it all spring. They threw it in uh, the summer. And uh, they're pretty good at throwing the long ball. And, you know, those guys will go up and get it against uh, double coverage, and it's not like a big deal. And that was kind of the thing that hurt Utah. Utah is all, you know, mm-hmm. the team that really defends well in their mind. And they thought they could go, you know, play USC straight up. And, and with Matt Fink as the quarterback. They just threw it down the field, said, go get it. And, uh, and that cost Utah, uh, you know, a chance to win that game. You're better off probably playing USC with a less talented defense yeah. uh, in terms of the secondary. Yeah. And, and just dropping eight guys back and hoping, you know, that maybe Keaton as a freshman gets a little, you know, antsy and, and throws it where he shouldn't. Uh, but, boy, if, they, if you try to play a man-to-man, they got way better players than you got. And it's just pretty obvious. That's the irony is if teams had less confidence in their secondary, I think they did better off against USC. But if you have confidence and try and uh, battle the USC's talented wide receivers, it doesn't really work out well for you. And the interesting thing, too, is everyone's a little happier, a little more cockier after a blowout, blowout win. I had a, a USC coach come up to me postgame and said, uh, he was like, they said this is a good defense. I didn't see that. And they're like, you never know once you play. That's why you got to play to see if this defense is good. So a little trash talk at the end of the game, ah, which is interesting. That is interesting, yeah. And I, I do think one of the differences is if, if USC played Washington now uh, or Brigham Young, two games I think where they tried to throw the ball to Drake London in a big, big situations and it didn't happen, I don't think that happens now. I think, yeah. just, I think Drake London just by himself – uh, where he is now, you win the Washington and the uh, and the BYU games, and you know you can say, "Ooh," but what's the difference? You know, well, the difference is nine and two, um, and that is a big difference. But but with him, you know, stepping in now, what a what a difference he makes in that offense. Yeah, you can tell he's really coming to his into his own. And as a true freshman, he never played an inside kind of slot receiver role before. He's always played outside. So we were asking him after the game, and he was saying, like, I really feel comfortable now, and I feel comfortable with Keaton. And so I think that goes a long way. And Dan's point is exactly correct. I think 
BYU Washington that go that that game may, maybe goes differently with Drake London having more confidence under his belt. Um, and also the interesting thing is Michael Pittman said that he challenged Drake London after the Washington Washington game and said we need you to step up, we need you to be better. And it's really interesting kind of seeing that dynamic between uh, Drake and Pittman because I think they have a, a bond and and uh, London really looks up to Pittman in that sense. Yeah, it seems like those two have uh, kind of been like a mentor-mentee sort of relationship, or big brother, little brother, and, you know, both pretty big dudes. And to see where, you know, Drake London, the the line was always, you know, oh, wow, that that turnover was intended to go to Drake London, and now it's, hey, he's doing some really amazing things with the football like the other guys. To have that kind of performance when Tyler Vaughns wasn't in there Mm -hmm. and some of the catches he can make and Drake London just kind of filling in for him, um, man, it just it it's pretty special. This is a you know you can talk about USC's talent being whatever at some different positions. You can't argue with the wide receiver spot. I mean, this is the the by far the strength of this team, and on more than one occasion, it's bailed them out and got them got them wins. Well, and they trust him to make plays. I think the a big difference too is Keaton knows that he can throw the ball uh, to where they can go catch it. And so he's he looks a lot more comfortable. Uh, I think he's more comfortable moving around in the pocket or moving out of the pocket in order to to get a better look, uh, get a better throwing lane. And um, it, it's really hard to defend him, uh, defend these receivers uh, down the field. And, and teams are you know getting out of out of position. I mean, the one guy fell down with. Uh, 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 Michael in the end zone and then nobody even covered uh uh I uh, I guess Josh was pretty much uncovered and uh Amon Ra I mean I think they're so worried about figuring out who all to cover that you get a chance if you're throwing the ball down the field to throw it down to somebody who's just uncovered and uh and I know what Keaton said I guess he had a couple of those that he said I said, what do you tell yourself when that happens? You know, you see the guy fall down or you just see him. He said, don't screw up. He said, all I got to do is not screw up. Just get it to him. And uh, that's what he did. All right. Well, we should get some, we should get in some of these questions about the, the game. We don't have a ton. We have a lot of questions. Not a lot about the game itself. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Like the close games, the games USC should have won by a lot. We got a lot of questions about the game, kind of complaining. Well, I'll say that was earlier in the season when the- even last week, like really okay, yeah. I mean, we would get a ton of you know. Well, I mean, there's still a lot of questions about other stuff. Yeah, I would. But say. once USC gets like a blowout win, there seems to be less. I don't know if it's less concern or less. I don't know. There's concern, but maybe not in the way that you would think. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but let's get into it first up with an email from our buddy Steve in Poway. He says, if the Pac-12 refs are really that concerned about player safety and making consistent calls, why did they not call for an unnecessary roughness penalty for the second player who came in after the tackle on Valus Jones? Valus was already down and it was, an, and it was a very awkward position when some cow player flew in from behind, not pulling up off of the tackle. It looked like Valus injured his leg on that play. Steve in Poway. Yeah, that was horrific officiating by the Pac-12. They they needed to kill that play. He was being held up. He wasn't going anywhere. Forward progress clearly stopped. And all he was being done was, you know, held up to be a target. And that's what he got. He got a target. That was uh, just terrible job by the officials. Uh, and there were a couple of them that could have blown their whistle. And, uh, and that's the problem with the Pac-12. The, their mechanics are awful. Their judgment is bad. Uh, it takes one official to kill that play. 
and and not get Vilas hurt. And if you're out there, that's what you're supposed to be. And they let that play go on way longer than it should. And the only thing that was going to happen by letting that play go was for Vilas to get hurt. Just terrible, terrible job by the Pac-12 uh, guys on that play. We have another officiating question. It's from Earl in West L.A. who says, Dan, finally we play a complete game, but it's too little, too late. We should have done that at home against Oregon. I'm just waiting for the end of this chapter in USC football to end. Can you explain the targeting call against Christian Rector? It certainly did not look like targeting to me. What did the replay show that I could not see? Earl in West L.A. Well, I mean, the call was strictly that he didn't uh... – uh, he didn't get his uh, the crown of his helmet up. He, you know, he was coming in low, not low, but kind of low. He was coming in on a, you know, on a twist and 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 coming around the quarterback. I don't even think he knew for sure uh, that uh, Brown, the ball carrier, was right there at that spot. I think it's one of those plays that's so quick, it's so bang bang, that you're anticipating once you, you know, get past the quarterback that you're going to be able to find the, the ball carrier and the ball. And the ball carrier was in a position where I don't think uh, uh, Christian anticipated that he would be there that soon. Uh, so, you know, you could call, t- you know, targeting and say, oh, by the letter of the law, his crown was down. Uh, we have to call it. Now, no, none of the officials on the field called it. So I think, you know, you got to look at that. So the fact that none of the officials on the field called it, I would say, the idea of ejection on that play was absolutely ridiculous, uh, that that's embarrassing, I think, for the Pac-12 again. I mean, here's the kid's got two regular season games left. He's finally healthy, and they take one away from him uh, for a bang-bang play that he had no control over. And um, I just thought that was just terrible judgment by the Pac-12 officials. I mean, you could say that to pretty much <laughs> like bring up any call. You're like, yeah, I think that was terrible judgment by the Pac-12 officials. You would probably be right. Pretty much. Yeah. We have an email from Michael from Newport who says, Hi, Ryan and Dan. With the recent decision not to redshirt Keenan Kristen, it has me wondering how many players buy into the coach's decisions on whether to redshirt them or not. Do you have a good feel on which players and parents do buy into the coach's decisions? Which players slash parents have bought in and which haven't? Also, we have previously heard parents being upset earlier in the season with the coaching staff for various reasons. How has the morale of the parent fared throughout the season? Do you know if our new AD, Mike Bone, has reached out to any or all of the football players' families? Fight on and beat the Bruins. Michael from Newport. Well, I think in Keenan's case, I think his, uh, his parents were not unhappy with that. I, I, I do think they, there was a sense that he had to you know, get bigger and stronger and all of that. I don't necessarily agree. You know, I, I would have tried to figure out what kind of specialty role uh, he can play and, and play in all you know, 12 games and, and, and get the benefit of a full freshman season, not thinking there aren't many running backs that go five, se- five years in college. It just, you know, the clock is ticking if you're a running back. So, uh, uh, but I don't think that was against the uh, wishes of the Kristen you know, family. Uh, so, and, and, and Keenan was absolutely you know, agreeing with whatever they wanted to do he was going to go with it, and, and, and that was going to be fine for him. As far as the general uh, you know, group of potential red shirts or not, I don't think that's gone you know, badly at all uh, this year. I think it's worked out pretty much the way uh, that uh, Jude Wolf is hanging fire right now. He's got the four games. I mean, does he not get to play in the bowl game, um, the UCLA game? I don't, I, I don't know what I think 
exactly about that. I don't think we, we you know, we talked to Keenan. I don't think we've talked to Jude Wolf about it. Um, but um, he might be the one that would, where you would like to ask him, what do you think? Uh, you know, is he a five-year uh, you know, candidate. But I, as far as the rest of the freshmen, I think it's kind of sorted itself out uh, that whatever happens, happens. And, uh, and and there's been enough consultation, I think. I, I don't think that's an area where USC has gone wrong with this coaching staff. As far as how the parents feel about the coaching staff in a more broad sense, uh, I would guess there's probably um, um, some unhappiness uh with with parents and and i know there's always been this sense of um not totally understanding what it is the coaches see is going to happen with each player and that that maybe there are you know promises made or or things happen that uh that maybe they feel like they have to stick to and yet is that the best way uh, you know, for USC to proceed in terms of using personnel. And I thought, you know, last year, obviously, the the snapper, center snapper question was a big part of that. And so uh, so there are some, yeah, there are some issues, I think, that it would be interesting if Bone does get a chance to sit down with a lot of the uh, of the parents of the, on this team and, and just see where they're coming from. And, you know, the parents don't always have a completely perfect you know, read on things, but let's face it, Michael Pittman's dad got really involved in a, early in his career and he wasn't wrong. He got him on the field and that was a good thing for USC. So, uh, uh, but you know, parents are interesting, how you deal with them, how you handle them. And, and, um, I think Bone ought to talk to him. That would be a good idea. Yeah, I would agree. Now, we're transitioning the podcast away from uh, game-specific, player-specific questions into the future. The future. <laughs> Which we have been doing in the last, like, three weeks of podcast. Um, I'm going to combine two questions because they're similar themes. These two people who wrote in basically state their case for why, even if Clay Helton wins eight games, Mike Bone shouldn't keep him around. So first off, Mike from Colorado wrote in and said, while the sunshine pumpers and losers at ESPN will say you can't fire Clay Helton with eight wins, I realize, I realize I'm making a big assumption there. Here are a few reasons why Mike Bone has no other choice but to fire him. USC is currently ranked fourth in the country in the talent index. Only Florida State is ranked in the top 10 in the TI, but not ranked in the top 25 of the curtain polls, and they have acted accordingly. USC is last in, in the Pac-12 in turnover margin. USC is first in the Pac-12 in yards penalized. USC is ninth in the Pac-12 in red zone offense. USC is eighth and ninth in the Pac-12 in kickoff return and punt return yardage. USC is ranked next to last. That's 11th for our UCLA friends in the current <laughs> recruiting rankings. Turnovers, penalties, and special teams, all showing uh, deficiencies in coaching and why we just need to end this experiment and move on. Thanks for the fer- therapy. I feel better now. Fight on, Mike from Colorado. And then we had an email for someone I don't think we included the name or they didn't put their name in the email not sure sorry about that Uh, but he says hello ryan and team i'm happy for the players on beating cal but my thoughts say that ad bone decides to keep clay because the team finishes the season strong in my opinion it would not be a good choice for these reasons one recruiting class this year will probably be worse than last year's class in terms of rankings two looking at next year if clay struggles again during next year's season we will be in the same boat as we are now where Clay's on the hot seat. You're going to lose more fans and maybe donors. I don't think this would be a good idea for the athletic department because football is one of the programs or the program that brings in the money. 
I like Clay, and he was nice when my son and I said hello to him at Oregon State last year. But I think it's time to make USC football great again and go in a new direction. Fight on. That last one was from uh, Tito. There so, you go. Yeah. Thanks, Tito. What do you think, Dan? Oh, I was going to let you answer that one first. Oh, uh, oh, so, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I'll go for it. Uh, yeah, I think there are so many issues that, I mean, you know, and yet they've done some good things. I mean, there aren't many teams that would be able to lose their their returning quarterback in the first half of the first game and survive with an 18-year-old, uh, Keaton Slovis. So that's really some good stuff happening there. And you gotta you got to admit that uh, – you know, Graham Harrell done a great job. Uh, you know, with with uh, with Keaton, uh, they've shown uh, confidence in him, and uh, they've tried to make it as comfortable as possible for for him to do that. I don't know that there's been another team able to handle that kind of. We see all the other you know programs, and when the quarterback goes down, life gets really difficult for them. So give them you know that plus, but. You cite all those statistics, and and almost every one of those is directly related to how do you practice, how do you scheme it, how do you game plan it, and and that hasn't worked out so well. I mean, we finally saw uh, they turned Ben Griffiths loose Saturday, and he averaged 50 yards a punt. Uh, you know, he's not like, oh, now he can punt, but he couldn't in September. You know, no, come on. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a guy we he needed saw. to be coached up, Dan. He just needed to be coached up like that. Yeah, you know. I guess maybe. Uh, who knows? But uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so there there are a lot of coaching related issues with this team and practice related issues. There's just no other way to get around it. And when you say this this recruiting class is going to probably be worse than last year, last year was ranked 20th. I would say a fair uh, ranking of this freshman class would easily put them in the top 10. If you had to rank, re-rank Keaton Slovis, Keenan Kristen, um, uh, uh, Drake London, for example, where would they be ranked? Where are they ranked in terms of true freshmen in the country? So this recruiting class that we're seeing play as freshmen would be easily, I think, in the top 10. Next year's class, what are we talking about, 77th? I mean, it's not, it's not like a close miss. You know, or a hit and miss. This is like, I mean, a disaster. It's that's below twelve uh, non-power five schools uh, minimum to to get you know that low. Now they don't have a lot of numbers, and so that's a that's a factor. But when you don't have a lot of numbers, you cannot be zero for twenty in the top uh, prospects in California, for example. Can't do that. You can't have a program where, as Urban Meyer was saying on Fox. Uh, it's the one Southern California now is the one place that's, you know, a happy hunting ground for every program in America. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, you, you have to, you know, build that wall around uh, Southern California. They haven't done that. And, and just the, the penalties, I just think the lack of discipline there when that was supposed to be a factor, the turnover margin, when that was supposed to be a key emphasis on this you know from this team this program this year and that didn't happen even close i mean it just when you've got a couple of stats that are really important and that you know they are and you talk about them going into the year and you're still almost dead last in the country that's really really uh not satisfactory and yet you know they could end up eight and four 
they could win the bowl game and go nine and four. I think they might get a matchup against the Big Ten team that will be a nice team and a nice name, and and maybe won't be able to handle the way USC throws the ball. So you can be nine and four, and still, this is a program historically, and that even now says we want to win national championships. And I think if you don't have a coach and coaching staff that you believe has any reasonable shot at challenging for national championships. I mean, challenging for the Pac-12 South and then falling short, that's not good enough for USC football. Just not good enough at all. And uh, and so, you know, that's where that's where this this ends, uh, you know, with uh, with I think I don't know that it's the, you know, the the new AD's call. I don't know and, and I've said for a while it's the that these coaches have made the call. Um, they have the team they have. Uh, USC's recruit, you know, recruiting prospects have made the call to go other places. Um, the season ticket holders have made the call not to buy season tickets. Um, you know, people don't show up at regular season games like they used to. And those are all calls that are being made by people uh, where the athletic director doesn't even have to make the call. He just has to read all the signs and say the call has been made. And I, I think that's the case. I would think so. Uh, Mike, Tito, real quick. Uh, great. I mean, a lot of great points there of why USC needs to move on. Can't argue with any of them. It's just way too talented of a team to have lost seven games last year and at least Four games this year. I think this was a, the second chance that maybe Clay Helton and this squad didn't deserve, and they got it. And to me, there's no excuses for what's going on. So if you were you were supposed to be fired because you were late for work, you know, seven times in the last month, and then you come back and they're like, oh man, I, and and they give you another chance, you're like, oh the the bus got a flat tire. That's why I'm late. Like there's no more excuses. Like you have to figure out a way to get to work on time, no matter what. And so losing to BYU, that's unacceptable. Losing to a 6-4 and four, uh, Washington team, that's unacceptable. I mean, you can't do those kind of things. And even losing to Oregon in the manner that you did. And, uh, you know, just I, I feel like this is – there's just there's no excuse zone. You don't – this team is too talented to be where they are. All those – and they should never be last in turnover margin and penalties and all that kind of stuff. That is not where this team should be. So I think you guys are both right. I think uh, Mike Bone, the athletic director, is completely justified in moving on, just like Carol Fult was completely justified moving on from Lynn Swan. So uh, I agree with you guys wholeheartedly, and uh, we'll see what happens in a week or so from now. Well, in that same vein, we have questions wondering what's going to happen in a week and or so. I'm combining two of them again. Steve, USC class of 97, says, simply put, Simply put, is this Clay Helton's last game as USC head coach? If Mike Bone is planning to make a move, will he do it next week? Or will he have to wait until Utah's last game of the season to see whether USC somehow makes it to the conference championship game before making any coaching changes? Thanks and fight on, dot, 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 to victory, Steve, class of 97. (laughs) And then we have a text from Robert, class of 2000, from Athens, Greece, who says, if Helton goes 8-4, and does he manage to keep his job? If he's going to be fired, it will not be later than Monday after the UCLA game, so I don't believe the bowl game will be a factor. Thank you, Robert. Well, it is interesting because USC has the uh, bye in the last week of the season, so they, they just sit sit around and, and you know, you have the long, long, long shot that Utah uh, stubs it so, 
and USC has the advantage at that point, uh, ha- having beaten UCLA. Uh, I, I think that's a good – I don't know uh, what the answer to that is. We've had the issue raised of uh, uh, Clay's agent liking to start all his contracts on December 1st and that anything that happens December 1st or later uh, changes the nature of, of the buyout and all of that. Again, we're not going to know that. The private school that USC is, they don't have to file that uh, in any public way. Um, so I'm not sure that I would be all that ready to uh, assume that something is going to happen, um, you know, the 26th uh, of that Monday, the day after the football banquet, unless something happens at the football banquet where, you know, it's kind of a mutual uh, decision uh, to move on or something like that. I mean, I guess that's always possible. But uh, but I still think if even if it takes another week, I think we had originally decided it was 33 days till uh, the early signing day from the football banquet. So that would take a week off of that uh, or eight days, whatever. But that still would give you enough time. How USC would handle uh, going for, um, you know, the bowl game and coaching it. I think if I remember this correctly, uh, when Clay took over, I know. He uh, he let, uh, uh, I think, almost half the coaching staff go, as I recall. Uh, and um, so I think I think that could happen. How that would work and who would you know still be here, because there really aren't uh, coaches available to be hired now. So even if you're a, you know, a new coach coming in and you've got an idea of who you're all going to who you're going to hire, I don't think they'd be available. Uh, very few of them would. So. There would have to be a continuity with this staff and the bowl game. And if you're talking about the holiday bowl, you're talking uh, December 27th. So uh, that's a you know fairly significant amount of time. So um, so I don't think we know. I think it's going to be kind of you know this little intrigue and mystery and all of that as to what's going to happen, when when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Uh, stay tuned. We say this a million times about USC football. Stay tuned. There's always something going on that we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Yeah, we don't. My gut feeling right now is that that, you know, around the time of the banquet, something might come out, something going to be announced maybe on Monday. That's just that's just my feeling. I know that there's the potential for contract changes December 1st. You could negotiate that. And if, you know, if, if Clay's agent's going to be really strict on it, um, you know, maybe they can't even announce something until afterwards, but word's going to get out that he's going to, you know, that USC's looking, he's on his way out. I I just feel like it's not going to take much time after the UCLA game before we start hearing something. So I don't know. What do you think, Keely? No, I was just going to say buckle up everybody because with USC, it always gets interesting. Yeah. And, and I do think there's the issue of, is there another, you know, job in, in the works for Clay? I mean, this team, whatever we think of it, from people on the outside might think, well, Clay started out the year as the number one hot seat guy in America, and I think he's dropped down to the number, what, 15, uh, the hottest seat guy, and they could end up finishing with, you know, five wins in six games. So maybe there's a place out there that would – where it would a transition would be facilitated 
if uh, it was sort of a, a mutual kind of a thing. So I just think there are so many moving parts. I don't. I just don't know we can possibly uh, put them all in place right now. Now, Dan, you mentioned recruiting in the early signing period. We had an email from Rick from La Mirada who said, I've sent many questions in before, and I love your input. Is there any salvaging of this recruiting this year's recruiting class soon? It is dire. I can't see why Helton is not removed already. Very close to a class of walk-ons to a team needing solid depth. Why wait if you seem to be firing Helton? Scary that the team is finishing strong. And he also says, love you, Keeley. Love you, Rick. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I know one way to salvage it. You hire Urban Meyer. That's one way to yeah. salvage it. Yeah, I think they don't have a lot of numbers, uh, and there probably are some flippable, really good players, really good prospects, five-star kids. And I think you, if you're gonna, if that's gonna be the strategy, you probably got to go with Urban Meyer. I don't know that there's another coach in America that moves the needle like Urban Meyer does. And so, with with you know, not a lot of guys to concentrate on. And, you know, the star power of Urban Meyer, uh, I think you could flip uh, enough guys to make the class, uh, you know, worthwhile, I think, at this point. Again, you know, the rankings are pretty good. I think last year, as we've seen, the, uh, I think this class, this current freshman class, is, is way better than they were ranked. Uh, again, only by some odd circumstances you got to get your starting quarterback hurt you got to get your three running backs hurt you know things have to happen uh before you would even know that uh but uh so i think you and and ryan you've talked about this a lot you can move three stars to be really good players and as utah has proved um but for USC, I just don't see that you can keep doing that year after year. I would think if I'm USC, I think, whoa, we got really lucky with this freshman class. We're not getting lucky two years in a row. We're not turning all those guys into, into you know, freshman All-American, you know, which USC might have, you know, three or four. Yeah. Uh, that may not happen uh, a second straight year. You've got to get some five-star guys. Yeah. And, and you got to get them from California, and you can't be letting them go everywhere else in the country. You just can't. I mean, you can't have that attitude that where the whole world comes into Southern California to recruit. For a while, they didn't come in at all. And I think that has to start happening again, where those people say, I'm not going in there because we're not getting anybody. Yeah, and USC's DNA is to recruit the best athletes. And Last year, it was a weird circumstance, but to get a guy like Chris Steele and Brew McCoy back in the fold that were out of the recruiting class, that would have put the class all the way up to number 14 just the way it was. So that's still technically a top 15 class, even without factoring in how good is Drake Jackson, how good is Drake London, how good is Keaton Christian, how good is Keaton Slovis, you know. So all of that, I think you, like Dan's right, you would bump it up to top 10. This class is nowhere near that. It's 11th in the Pac-12. It's just there's no one like that. Now, maybe if you had a Bryce Young that was still included, that could be a factor. Charging fans, if you're looking to go to the game this weekend, I want to tell you about SeatGeek. You need some tickets. SeatGeek makes it really easy to get tickets. Sometimes those ticketing websites, they just make it a lot harder than it has to be. They get it really big. They charge you all kinds of fees. Not good customer service. That's not what SeatGeek does. SeatGeek makes the process actually easy. They're a site that cares. They're trying to bring you the millions of live events with a price match guarantee on SeatGeek that will make it so much easier for you to get your tickets online. They got the tickets you're looking for. 
from sports, music, comedy, and more. Of course, we're talking USC, UCLA this weekend. If you go on their interactive app, they make it really easy to see where those seats are and what kind of deals they are. Lots of green dots. I'm looking at the app right now for USC, UCLA. Tickets as low as $77. They got some club seats if you want to get those. And they have little red dots if maybe those are a little more expensive, aren't the best deals in the world. So make sure you check out the SeatGeek app and for all the information on what the tickets are doing. And right now, we're going to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you got to do is use our promo code USC. So download the app, use promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. All right, well, why don't we jump to a voicemail? We got a couple of voicemails that include uh, the new athletic director's name, Mike Bone, Dan. So let me play this one for you. J.D. from D.C., uh, I'll make this very brief, Ryan, so you'll put me on air. This is for Dan. Dan, where is Brandon Sosna? Uh, until I see him in situ in L.A., I just will not believe that Bone drove a hard enough bargain or got the resources or political commitment to fulfill the fantasy dreams that USC Trojan fans are engaging in right now. Uh, people need to be prepared to be disappointed. Well, I think... J.D., I think USC just posted a job that if if I were guessing, it looks like the requirements for the job that are po- that's posted would be uh, Mr. Sosna's resume, if I had to guess. Uh, we probably put that in the war room and you guys can read it and see. But, uh, but I think it looks like it's in pro- – I wouldn't go the other direction uh, right away. I wouldn't say, well, I haven't seen it, therefore it's not going to happen. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I know enough either way uh, to say that's happening. But in reading the, the requirements for the – it's a deputy uh, athletic director for strategy and I'm trying to think of the other – there are a couple of elements to this new, new job that doesn't exist at USC now. And – it sure looks like uh, if you took uh, Mr. Sosna's uh, resume and put it against this job, it fits almost every single uh, line of the uh, job uh, qualification. So, uh, so I wouldn't give up on that yet. JD's a veteran; he knows to get in and get out with the voicemail. <laughs> well, we've had we had like a run of two three minute voicemails that I didn't play so he he knew he, he just wants to get it played he so knew that's how you get to play just be a short and we're good well done well yeah. done uh, we have an email from Garrett who's actually following up from last week's question he says hi guys I don't mean to cause offense to you guys but Ryan and Dan had a bit of a Clay Helton response to my last question my question was is there a backup choice that could still be considered a win should Urban decide not to come to save the program after Bone and USC go all in on him your responses were USC, USC should go in all USC should go all in on him. Yes, I firmly agree with that and wish that would happen today to try and save the recruiting class, but it still leaves my question unanswered. I've heard Bob Stoops and other names, but none of them seemed like a win to me. Do you have any opinion on that? Thanks to Keeley for kind of steering the conversation back towards my question, but it still was not answered. Thanks again, Garrett. I tried, Garrett. <laughs> uh, uh, my take, and I've talked to a lot of people and they go, no, no, who? And I say no. I do not want USC to say, well, plan B isn't bad. No, I don't want them to be. I don't want there to be a plan B. I do think there are some plan B guys uh, who could get things going in a few years. 
I don't think USC has a few years. I think they've put themselves in a position where if plan A is available, is here, is able, you know, to, unless plan A says absolutely not, I don't want to go to plan B until we hear from plan A that he's out of the picture. Okay. That's just my take on this. I do not want to give USC any kind of backdoor to exit the process and go in another direction. I want them locked in and saying the guy we want, the guy we need, the guy who can do it by tomorrow uh, and get it moving in there. I think you need a guy who will signal not only to the world that USC is back in business of going in a plan for national championships, but a guy who will signal to the USC community that we're back in the business of going for national championships. And that's a question that I think there would be people in the USC community who would say, eh, we don't need to do that. Eh, that's not that important. No, 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 no. We got other stuff going. I think USC needs the Urban Meyer, if that's the direction they're going, if they're, if they're, you know, if they're going to have a new coach and all this and that, and we know why we all think that's necessary, I think it has to be the guy. And there's no, uh, well, the next guy's pretty good. Look what he did at so-and-so. I don't, I don't think anybody moves the needle in, in, in California, in Southern California, in the Pac-12, other than, uh, other, other than Urban Meyer. So until we get a no, I would say I'm not thinking plan B. I don't know if what Ryan agrees with yeah. that or not. But, but okay, I think he's- guys, it's a thought experiment. Say Urban Meyer was blasted off to the moon and he's no longer a possibility. The well, thought experiment the is... We have gone to the moon before, so you should... <laughs> okay, like- he's blasted off to Mars. How about that? And, and by the way, that was a USC, Pluto. That was a USC graduate who went to the moon. Yeah. Uh, and he happens True. to be from Cincinnati. So uh, I'll take credit both ends of that. Uh, nice. Armstrong. But uh, I just think... There is no, like when they went, you know, to the moon, for example, were they saying, now, Neil, if you don't, and we can't quite get you back, is it, is there somebody else you want us to, you know, no, he wasn't thinking if I can't get back, you know, you came back. Yeah, Apollo 13, they were like, okay, we got to figure this out. Like, that's what you, I agree with Dan, USC has to figure it out. Like, this is the, the answer. Now, Garrett. I'm sorry, see, Garrett. Some, Garrett, I tried. There's a song, I think it's called You Can't Always Get What You Want, mm-hmm. and we're just not willing to uh, give you what you want. I mean, names like There's names out there. PJ Fleck is a good one. He just got an extension. Row the, Row the boat. But, I mean, he's someone – I think he would be good. I think a Matt Rule has shown, you know, hey, I won at Temple. I'm winning at Baylor. Took a tire fire, you know – uh, that was you know, a nuclear bomb was dropped on a tire fire and that's what Baylor was. And he's, you know, got them to be nine and one. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Matt Campbell at Iowa state's doing a lot of good things. And these are less of projects. Like people bring up like a Brent Venables or Dave Aranda to me, you can't go, you, you, you've lost all your privileges to go with a coordinator that you're projecting might be a head coach. The worst, the most projection you projecting you could do is someone like, you know, Fleck or rule like someone's at, the, at a power five, but not at an elite power five, but you think could make that jump. Those are the kind of names you'd like. Now, James Franklin is more of a proven guy who showed what he could do at um, Vanderbilt. And he's, you know, doing a pretty good job 
at Penn State. He certainly has his detractors too. Clay Helton, Clay Helton beat him head up, you know, heads up already. But that's a big name. He's probably a top five coach in the sport right now. And just going after someone like that, USC hasn't done anything close to that in years past. So those are all real answers, Garrett, but there's only one right answer. And until you put the best possible package in front of Urban Meyer and make him say no, I don't even think you want to think about any of those other things. Yeah, I mean, you look at Matt Rule. Apparently, he was like the one of the two finalists for the Jets head coaching job. You know, I, I don't know. Do you want to get in one of those situations where, you know, every second year you're going to be bidding against the NFL uh, for one of these guys? Uh, I think we kind of look at Urban and say he's going to be a college coach. And he's going to want – wherever he goes, he's going to want to be – a guy who wins a national championship and be, you know, become that almost makes you immortal. You'd be the only guy who's won national championships in college at three different schools. And I do think, you know, that that's a big deal, uh, you know, for urban. So, I mean, there are so many ways he's exactly the right person that you just want to concentrate on getting that done. If you have to go, you know, with another plan, maybe then you think about that, but I don't, I don't want him thinking about it now. I, I want to, you know, get get that guy, and then we'll see, you know, if you have to go another direction, you have to go another direction. I don't know. Hey, if Clay, you know, if they go eight and four, they don't have a coach, and Clay coaches them through the, uh, uh, the bowl game, and they go nine and four, and they can't say, let's say somebody says, but you can't hire Urban Meyer. I think at that point, Mike Bone might say, you know what? Why don't we just wait another year and let's see what happens and 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 let the people who say, well, you can't hire Urban Meyer, let them stand behind that decision. Oh, where you just say to them, huh, maybe we'll just keep Clay if that's what you want. If you don't want Urban Meyer, maybe we keep Clay for another year or something like that. That would be where the athletic director says, I'm not going to get blamed for not getting Urban Meyer. If we don't get him, and it's somebody telling me we can't get him, then that's going to be on them. I don't know. That's a, that's a little theory that you could throw out there. A little game of chicken. I like that. Um, <laughs> speaking of Mike Bone, we got another question uh, involving him. I'll play it for you, Dan. Hello, uh, Ryan, and hello, Dan. Uh, this is Guy from Lake Balboa calling in again in a semi-panic concerning the uh, future of USC if uh, Mike Bone demurs on hiring uh, Urban Meyer, I, um, I I really am very worried about this, and uh, I hope I haven't called too late to get on the show today. It's been up since the dead of night worrying about USC's uh, 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 head coach problems. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Bye. I think he needs a um, hobby. He needs a hobby. Yeah, he's, he's worrying I, about this a little I, too much. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I I would want the USC's new president maybe not to be able to sleep about that decision. Uh, I don't even think Mike Bone. You know, maybe the board of trustees uh, people, but uh, I don't even think Mike Bone is is taking it to that extent. I think he's. You know, I I, he, I like his how upbeat he is. 
I don't get that sense that he has that feeling like, you know, we're not going to be able to pull this off or we're not going to be able to do this or whatever. He seems pretty upbeat about where where this whole thing is. And I'm not sure he'd be quite that upbeat if he'd been told that that can't happen. So that's just my reading. And it just, you know, it's a guesstimate. Uh, you know, we don't know Mike that well. Uh, but um, you just get the sense that he knows the difficulties that that will present if he can't go uh, in that direction. And uh, so until I know something different, I'm not going to presume that it can't happen. That's all. I just I need more information uh, for me to start feeling, uh, you know, to get that panicky feeling. We have an email from the original Bay Area Trojan. He says, we have a number of coaches with previous experiences with winning programs. Tim Drevno, Joe DeForest, Chad Kay, Graham Harrell, Greg Burns, who must see what a mess our program is in. Special teams, penalties, discipline, tackling and practice, etc. Are they not able to influence Clay Helton or does he just not want to listen to others and their other and their differing point of view? I can't believe that they are remaining silent and letting their careers take a hit. I will say this. I was a high school coach where it, if you're an assistant coach, it's hard sometimes to influence a head coach who sees things really differently from the way you do it. Now, in high school, you don't have that many, you know, most high schools are not like modern day, uh, you don't have that many assistant coaches, but, uh, it's, it sometimes can be pretty hard, um, you know, if you don't, you know, you're not going to tackle in practice, you don't tackle in practice. Uh, if you just, this is the way we do things, you can try to do as much as you can with your little area, but putting it all together and all of that, I thought there would be more impact uh, in the way they, you know, went about things with the new coaches who I think we've, you know, with guys like, you know, Coach Chad and Greg Burns and that, we've gotten a real, you know, good feeling about where they're coming from. But, the end product doesn't look as different from last year as, you know, we thought it might. Um, and with Graham Harrell, you know, you can see some of the places where the quarterback play is clearly, uh, you know, improved uh, and, and where the offense is clearly, you know, more well thought out. But I'm still not sure, you know, they, they can run the ball any better. And, uh, you know, the offensive line, a year older for a lot of those guys they are big and athletic, but, uh, you know, we don't see a lot of push. So, uh, as much as you think that you could change things as assistants, it's, re it, it's harder than you think and harder than I even, you know, try to do it on a, on a much lower level. Uh, sometimes you just can't make it, make enough change or have enough impact, um, you know, over what a head coach wants to do. You just can't do it. I think it's also good to keep in mind that it's just like any other job. There's politics, there's hierarchy, um, in Clay's the boss in, in that sense. So it's not always as easy as it may seem from the outside, especially when it looks like sports. And it's easy and it's fun. It's still people's jobs in that sense, too. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, you know, coaches, especially when they're on the hot seat, they're going to do whatever they think is best to, uh, to get the job done. And, you know, Clay Helton has stuck to his guns for good, bad or whatever, but he's not making as, as many changes as a lot of people felt that he should. And um, I don't think a, a Joe DeForest or, or Johnny Nansen or anyone like that is going to talk him into doing something. Otherwise uh, that's what, 
you know, that's what he wants to do. I mean, he hears the grumblings in the media from the fans about things that they keep doing over and over again. He's not changing his opinion. He's not changing what he's doing. And uh, I don't think, you know, if, if the coaches that are, that, you know, he's he's their boss, I don't think they're going to be coming up and, be, and pushing too hard back. But even if they do, I just don't see him making that many changes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and two of the three coaches he listens the most to, has listened to most to over the years and depends the most on are, you know, John Baxter and, uh, and Clancy Pendergast. And they have been here, you know, through uh, these years. And I, I think maybe if we looked at that and said, why would that indicate there would be much change? You know, if you if you have a hierarchy and you have the head coach and the three coordinators, three-fourths of that uh, hierarchy is still in place mm-hmm. as it was last year. So, you know, you change the offensive coordinator and there clearly has been change there and improvement and, and all of that. But you didn't change any of the other three pieces. So, again, maybe that's asking a lot. And I don't think we would have seen an offensive coordinator change that drastic, that out of the USC circle, if it wasn't for a five and seven season. I mean, look at what nothing really changed after the Cotton Bowl loss. And that was something that needed to change after we saw the offensive line performance and whatnot. So it's just not in his DNA to do stuff like that. Yeah. And it was the availability of Cliff Kingsbury, I think. And and the fact that they kind of realized, and maybe was it desperation or not, in the Notre Dame game, uh, the last game of the freshman year, you know, for JT and those, you know, those guys that they needed to throw the ball because they had really good receivers and a quarterback with a good arm. And then, you know, so that one thing was like obvious, but I don't know that there was anything else that happened that told them you must change. And they didn't. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. Come right back. We'll finish up all the questions. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Keely, what else uh, What else you got over there? We got an email from Johnny, class of 2016, who says, Dear Ryan, Keely, and Dan, Mike Bone was previous, previously an athletic director in the Mountain West, Big 12, and American Conference. With that in mind, I looked up the teams in those leagues with open dates on 9-4-2021, the date of the UC Davis game. Houston, UNLV, and TCU still have open dates on that day. What are the odds that Bone cancels the UC Davis game and replaces them with an FBS opponent like one of those three schools? Johnny, class of 2016. Man, uh, uh, you should call some people at USC who guaranteed us there were no teams with open dates uh, on those dates. So, that's a, a revelation that we were absolutely told in no, uh, you know, in no fashion were teams available to play. So um, that's great information. Uh, the problem they've got 
is it's been reported. We we haven't reported this, but it's been reported that the buyout for Cal Davis is something like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which seems like an insane number. I mean, what you know? What do they do? Just call. They all they have to do is call the charter bus company and say we're not going to the game. I mean, how much? Seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Again, if that's true, man, that's a you know. I suggested find a sponsor to buy them out and. And, and get one of the others. The problem the USC was finding is everybody knew that USC had had since I think 2015 when Tennessee canceled the kind of gentleman's agreement for a home and home uh, that USC hadn't gotten anybody. And so here it was 2019 and schools that USC was approaching up the ante to like one and a half million dollars uh, for a for a game uh, for USC to buy a game and USC didn't want to do that. So, uh, that's really interesting information. If that, if that's true, uh, I'll be interested to see what, what do they want to do? Is it worth it to keep, uh, you know, with Notre Dame and, and UCLA is the only schools not to play, have played, uh, below, uh, you know, division one. I don't know, but that's, that's really good information. We'll have to ask Mike Bone about that because uh, I'd be really interested to hear his his answer. Yeah, that's uh, you want to talk about low hanging fruit. You know, we talked about oh, let the song girls back into the basketball game. Like that's something that's low hanging fruit. <clears throat> if you announce that USC is no longer playing UC Davis and will now be playing TCU, that would be huge. So he would win a lot of people over. Mm-hmm. Johnny doing his research. Well done. Nice, Johnny. Uh, we have an email from Tyrion from Las Vegas. He says, firstly, I want to add my appreciation uh, to the voice by another Las Vegas Trojan fan in an earlier podcast that your hard work is invaluable in keeping us fans outside of Southern California tied into the program. In the future, when the Trojans play here in the new Allegiant Stadium that is being built and your USCfootball.com t- team comes to here to cover them, it would be great if you could arrange a get-together for us Las Vegas fans to gather and meet all of you. My question to the three of you is, how do you see next year's quarterback competition between Slovis and Daniels? Each will have one year of experience as a starter. I assume there will be a new coach installing a new offense, so similar to last spring, I'm guessing that much will depend on who can best adapt to the new offensive system. If Daniels can't participate in spring practice, wouldn't that give Slovis a big advantage? Your thoughts, Tarion from Las Vegas. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think uh, I, I don't think we even know how much uh, JT would be able to do in the summer. Uh, and and the whole idea of a new coach and you know if you bring in a new coach who's kind of run other offenses and has looked to more athletic quarterbacks for example but does he look at some of the stuff that's happened this year and and knowing that you know USC might lose Michael Pittman they're going to lose Michael Pittman but they you know add in uh, Brew McCoy and uh, and Kyle Ford into the receiving core uh, do you think? Excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> uh, that boy, we need to throw the ball. And at, at that point, uh, Keaton will have a, a gigantic advantage at this point uh, because of, of this year. And then he'll be there, you know, in the winter uh, when JT almost, I don't know, that'll be doing a lot of movement. And I guess there's, you know, a very long shot that by the end of the of the spring, if he's got uh, just tremendous, uh, you know, rehab and recuperation. Uh, he still, JT wouldn't be allowed, I don't ever, any contact. Uh, but 
and I don't know that you can win the job in the summer. Uh, so uh, at, this, at that point, uh, it's an uphill battle, I think, for JT uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I would have loved to have seen him have the chance in this offense to throw to this receiving core. I mean, I, I, you know, we can argue about how well and, – and I, I, I don't like it when I hear people – they think in order to build Keaton up and, and respond to how well he's playing, they got to knock JT down or say he didn't do this in the UCLA game last year. Come on. It's so different. Uh, the, the situation is so different. I mean, I can make the case that had JT not gotten hurt, they probably beat Brigham Young. They probably even beat Washington. Uh, so, you know, you can make all the different kinds of cases that you want. Uh, I don't know. I just think, you know, you, both of them have some special, uh, you know, qualities and, and characteristics and, and both played as true freshmen uh, against some, you know, pretty uh, fast competition and both have done some really good things. And I, I just don't think you need to, you know, downgrade anybody. But when you look at how this is going to play out, uh, Keaton has just by far – uh, the the advantage in uh, in any sort of in a quarterback competition. Yeah, agree. I mean, it's just tough at this point because you don't know what kind of offense is going to be run, and you know, without having spring football there um, for you know JT Daniels, and we don't even know like if he's going to be ready for the beginning of fall camp. So it could be one of those situations where he's coming, you know, as the season's getting started. I mean, it's just it's going to depend on his rehab. Now, if he's ready and he's ready for fall camp, it, it's going to give him a shot. He gets a couple weeks of summer ball and can throw with the guys and you know whatever system they're running yeah that that's great but the longer it takes him to rehab I mean I think the tougher it's going to be and of course the better the Keenan's that slow you know Slovis plays like holy crap but he's had three 400 yard games Sam Darnold had one uh it's pretty incredible I mean do you keep the window open for a, a competition to see if Daniels can come back in fall or if Keaton is clearly the winner in spring do you go with that? I mean how how much do you keep the window open due to injury? I think a Clay Helton keeps it open. But <laughs> if you might get someone you get a different coach that's hired and is like nope that's my guy. Like you you yep. know it has a little more definitive man. But it's hard to say. We don't know True. who it's going to be. True. Uh, we have a- yeah, I, yeah, and I think if, if this staff is has held over, I think it was no question that um, Graham Harrell uh, just loves him some Keaton Slovis. I mean, there's just no question. He didn't hide it. He couldn't hide it. He he saw, I think, what we're seeing now uh, in his system with these receivers. And uh, uh, you can't say he was wrong about uh, about Keaton. Uh, Again, what's so hard to extrapolate is what would JT have been doing in the same situation? Maybe there's not – he didn't have quite maybe the pocket presence last year, but would Keaton have had what kind of pocket presence would Keaton have had with last year's uh, offense and, and offensive line yeah. and or any quarterback for that matter? <laughs> yeah, and and the snaps. What if he'd had to play, you know, a hockey goalie uh, on the on the snaps, uh, and that would have made life a little difficult too. So I, I just don't think I don't like it when people downgrade what jt did last year i just think that was that's that's bad form yeah don't check, do it check yourself if you're saying jt daniel sucked last year and keaton slovis is great this year like watch what jt did in the first game the first half of that game i mean he would look like this throughout the game too it's just so much of a better system it's apples and oranges yeah like, you they're can't completely say, different oh, did you see him against ucla last year blah blah like stop <laughs> like just check yourself that's that's all horrible yeah pretty much 
Uh, we have an email directed at you, Ryan, Uh-oh, okay. from Frank Miranda, who says, Ryan, last week you doubted that Kocho would come back given if given the opportunity to coach USC, and he put exclamation points, after watching the ESPN interview by Tom Rinaldi, do you still feel the same? It's obvious that Coach O's heart is still at USC, and if Urban passed, I bet Coach O would come back to lead the Minotroy. Thoughts, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley? Regards, Frank. Okay, hey, Frank, no. Yeah, I saw that. I, you know, I've been... Uh, Following the Coach O saga, I, I've known him pretty well. He was probably the first coach I ever interviewed when I was like, we were first getting our like practice credentials at wow. USC. Uh, got to send him a congratulatory text after the game, and he thanked me for the, all the support over the years. So, yeah, I I mean after the Alabama game, after the Alabama game, yeah. yeah. So he obviously loves it. I mean, he was he was crushed. It just shows you what all that tells me watching that interview is how badly Pat Hayden screwed up because he's right next to him. He sees what those players saw. He saw what this was, the program was doing and how he turned things around. And Pat Hayden didn't have the foresight to see this is the direction you need to go. It was devastating for Ed Orgeron, but he's a Louisiana guy. He's lucky enough to have two dream jobs. He's not leaving LSU for USC and not just if, it, if if USC didn't do him dirty, I still don't think he's leaving LSU to go back to USC. He's the head coach there, and he's got the number one team in the country. He doesn't have any reason to go. He's home. Now you you got to add in that USC did him dirty, and that hurts too. So he would have loved to stay, and I don't think if he was at USC and was the head coach and was having success and LSU came calling, I think you could make a really good argument he would not leave because he's really loves it at USC, even though he loves it at LSU. But he's at LSU now. He's in a perfect spot for him. So, no, he would not leave LSU for USC. At least that's my thoughts. Dan, I don't know if you have any difference. Yeah, I, I think he would have considered uh, even coming – he loves USC. I mean, I can't even say how much he loves USC, how difficult that day was. I'm, I'm, you could see it on the uh, ESPN, you know, the, the college game day interview. Um, but uh, – he 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 would have thought about coming back. Uh, not now. I think he's been able to. He just he's taken fight on, and transferred it to LSU. And it wasn't easy. I mean, they've had staffing issues and all kinds of issues. Uh, I remember talking to him about though. I, I said, the AD really likes you, doesn't he? And he said, yeah. And I said, I don't think he likes the head coach. And I think I said, Ed, I think if you came back here. You'd be head coach someday, but I think you're going to be head coach at LSU. I don't think you should. I don't think you. You, you know, but he loved USC, and and I made a decision. I wasn't going to bug him this year, uh, during the season and all that. So, um, so I haven't haven't called, haven't uh, even texted him, and there's so much. You, so I turned on my messages yesterday, uh, text, and it's uh, uh, Ed Orgeron. How's it going? How you doing, Danny? Nice. And I'm thinking, this guy, he's got the number one team in the country. <laughs> and on a Monday afternoon, he has the time to tell, to want to see how I'm doing. It's like, that's impossible. So, you know, I sent him a, you know, a message about how happy we were and how proud we were and all that. And he just, he, you know, he thanks you, you know, for being a good friend. And, uh, there's just something about him that makes you feel that way and that the powers that be at USC didn't get that. 
that connection with the players uh, and the ability to recruit relentlessly. And USC would not have been able to support him the way LSU has in terms of getting the you know two highest paid coordinators or whatever in the country and all, all of that kind of thing. Uh, he had to work through that, and he was at the right place to work through that. But uh, he's a special guy, and uh, USC fans, I think, ought to be uh, ought to be proud and happy, and and proud and happy that he cared so much for USC uh, the way he did. I mean, he really, really loved USC. He really loves USC, and there's no there's no question. I think I was the last guy he said hi or bye to when he came down. Uh, came down the ramp from McKay that that afternoon. What a what a horrible day that was, uh, and where he felt like he had been lied to, and that they were and then they tried to buy him off by you know they were going to make him the highest paid assistant in the country, and he just said that's not for me. I mean you you didn't tell me the truth, and uh, I'm out of here. And I know there are some people who were unhappy about you know that he. He, he just pulled out at that point in time, but uh, that was a matter of honor to him that he thought that uh, that they hadn't uh, been truthful with him and how the negotiations were going. And then he found out because it came out of Washington uh, that he wasn't going to be the guy. And, and um, But uh, I just can't be happier uh, for somebody than, than Coach O. But that ship has sailed. Yeah. And when we talk about like great leaders and any, I mean, any business that you're in, there's the boss and you have to be able to assess the people, the personalities, how everyone's going to work together. And, you know, someone like Ed Orgeron, you don't have to be around him that long to know what's special about him and what's where his strengths are and how he knows what's going. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. And, you know, with, when Mike Bone was coming in and you're like, wow, that name came out of nowhere. I'm not really sure. You start talking to the guy for five minutes, you're like, all right, I see why people would like him. I'd see why he's going to interview well. I see why I think now, I, you know, I feel he's going to do a really good job this university. Like, that's just something as a person, you want to be able to detect that from other people. And if you were around this football team at the time when Edward Orgeron was running it, and yeah, I know they lost to Notre Dame and UCLA, the, the win over Stanford and how depleted they were on defense and all that, like... You as a as a decent leader, you should have been able to just you know that should have smacked you over the head how right it was for the time and to in your mind you had to say something along the lines of hey even if it's only for a year or two I think this is what you, we need to do right now and and keep Ed Orgeron around and if he does well we'll keep him longer if not we'll we'll do our search and I, I think anyone that with any competency would have de- decided that and of course USC did not and it was completely the wrong decision. Well, and your choices were keep Ed or bring in Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, that's like that's so crazy that you would go in the direction that they went. I mean, it's just insanity almost. That that and now looking back at it, it really was. But uh, yeah, that 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 decision, uh, you know, that there was no way. For example, no matter what they paid Ed, he's so did not believe that was the right decision for USC. He wasn't going to be stay and be part of it. Yeah. He just said, this is a the wrong decision for USC, and this is not going to work. He couldn't have been more right. He was exactly right. And, uh, you know, USC still paying the price for that. So 
not to belabor this topic, but this was before my era, so this is just a question that this is something that I've heard people say that like, oh, well, if Coach O was so about his players and whatever, why did he quote unquote quit and leave and not coach them um, in the bowl game or whatever? Why like? What's your take on that, given that was the kind of Coach O haters, what they say yeah. when it comes to that? That's utter crap, I would say, to all those Coach O haters, because you look at his face. Like, he's got the number one team in the country. He's beat Alabama. And you you talk to him, it still hurts him to the core. If someone, if your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever is going to break up with you in the most emotional thing possible, but you told them that you would help them move afterwards, and you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to stick around. and move. Like That's basically what I'm equating this to. There is no way. And there's not a single player, if you ask them, yeah. that would have blamed him for walking out when he did. They were as crushed as he was almost. So I think that's utter crap that anyone says he quit on his team. Yep. Well, they actually went and won the bowl game for Coach O. I mean, they went, you know, to Las Vegas, and that was the big uh, theme of uh, of the bowl practices. They were going to win the bowl game for Coach O, and they did. And uh, you know, he, I just think he couldn't be part of something that was being run by people who he felt were were lying to him and didn't tell him the truth of of you know he he understood that while they were telling him he was in the running for the head coaching job he realized he wasn't in the running at all he couldn't believe that i mean how could you tell me i am how could we have turned things around the way we did and then i'm not even in the running and they're picking somebody who you know i i don't have any respect for at all uh it was interesting kind of a side sidebar on the alabama uh, lsu game is he's looking across the field at, at the guy who was hired over him uh, at USC. And uh, there's just a lot of little things played out uh, in that game. But uh, that was the reason why he was so happy. But he was crushed. I mean, you can't even imagine how cr- – and, you know, his wife and, and he walked walking down the, the ramp from McKay. And you talk about somebody that was crushed. I mean, he thought he was, you know, going to get the job and to find out how he found out because the people at Washington were starting to call people and say, we're, you know, we got the job and he's thinking he's going to have the job. And that was a very tough day. Yeah. We have uh, one more question and then a voicemail. So let's get to it. Our last email is from our buddy, Dan class of 1962, who says, hi, Keely, Ryan and Dan. Thank you all for speaking out about going for greatness with the new head coach hire. We have always been told that money is not an object with the USC athletics. So spend what is needed to be great. Dan, you are an SID at Xavier. My concern is the role of the SID at USC. Shouldn't the SID be the conduit who answers the questions about the program for the media and can relay concerns to the powers that be in the athletics office? Or is the SID merely the person who puts together the sports media guides? I've asked this question over and over. Why are other private schools like Rice, Vanderbilt, and Stanford winning baseball national championships and USC can't even get into the College World Series? It's like football. You get what you pay for, and that starts with outstanding coaches. Fight on, Dan, class of 1962. I do think, and people don't always accept my uh, uh, explanation as to what happens. Uh, it, it, you know, Rice at Houston or, or Vanderbilt at Nashville or Stanford with unlimited scholarships have a whole different ability uh, in in college baseball, where you need a roster at least thirty deep. And what do they give you? Thirteen scholarships, or I can't. Even, I don't even know if it's I think that it's high. Like Eleven anymore. and a half or something. Eleven and a half now. Something I guess terrible, you're right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so you have no shot if you're in a city or in a uh, in Southern California where you can get just as good a shot at going to the uh, Major League Baseball and just as good a shot at uh, making it to Omaha. If you're at UC Irvine, UCLA, uh, uh, Long you know Cal State Long Beach, uh, Cal State Fullerton, I mean. If you're a really good baseball player in Southern California, and, and they have to divide up the scholarships everywhere, uh, it's a whole lot easier if uh, you know, you're going to get a half a scholarship or a quarter of a scholarship to go to UCLA or, or Fullerton or wherever than it is to go to USC. I mean, basically, I think the rule is almost designed to keep USC out. USC has won the most uh, college World Series, college uh, NCAA championship, and I think they felt like, oh, this is a good way to keep USC out, and I think it's almost an anti-USC rule. Uh, I don't think Vanderbilt uh, is kind of the best city in uh, in the you know Southeastern Conference, and 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 they just you know have had it, and they don't have to recruit against anybody. I mean, there's nobody else that that's getting those those kinds of kids. Stanford's got the unique. Uh, uh, you know, endowment where, you know, if your family makes under $100,000 a year, you can basically go there on full scholarship. Uh, and it applies to athletes, too. Uh, and then uh, and Rice is in Houston. And again, there's nobody else there playing baseball, uh, you know, until you get to Austin. So I think everybody, those other private schools have a much easier situation uh, and competing than USC. I know a lot of people don't believe that, but I, I think it's absolutely true. As far as the SID, I think that's an interesting you know, question as to what the, the roles are at USC. I know it, it, it became a different sort of a role when Pete got him on the, on the role that he got him on. And it's kind of in a different place now. Um, you're in a, you know, you're in a fishbowl and you're also in a bubble that you think people from the outside aren't always worth listening to. And USC's kind of, I think, I'd like to see them maybe figure out exactly what do we want our SID to do here and, uh, and, and how, how he works you know, with the media, how they work with uh, the public and, and all of that. And uh, it's a challenging role, I think, at USC because of the spotlight that, that, that's on you. And USC does, I think, probably don't get enough credit uh, that we do have, even with getting shut out of, of, except for 20 minutes of practice, we probably have a little more opportunity to talk to uh, uh, players and assistant coaches than than most places. So, uh, you know, you got to do it quick and you got to, you know, have your kind of game plan figured out. But uh, it's still uh, in a place where where we do get uh, options that that you wouldn't get, and we probably wouldn't get with Urban Meyer. Uh, but uh, uh, but you would like to see more of a, a, a figuring out of exactly what do we want our SID to do uh, and kind of going down the middle between, you know, reflecting uh, what the needs of the media are, reflect, you know, reflecting what the needs of the team and the coaches are and, and the university as a whole. And uh, I... I would have liked to have seen USC have a kind of a different approach, especially during the NCAA years and all of that in terms of a spokesperson who could have answered charges or gotten ahead of things or whatever. And that didn't 
didn't really happen, and you didn't always get USC side out, I don't think. Yeah, that's really not been Tim's role there, but they hadn't really had someone doing that, so it's interesting. Uh, we got one last question for you, Dan, and we'll let you go. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Congratulations, USC, on the win on the road against this super defense that we really embarrassed and scored a lot of points on. Uh, but I really want to talk about Khalil Tate, hoping that he has the game of his life at home against Utah. You know he's the closest thing to Lamar Jackson in college football. Play your best, Khalil. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Um, our, our ever optimist, Curtis. Uh, just so you know, Curtis, he didn't start the, the last game. So he's not even their starting quarterback right now. He might start this game. I don't know. They, this might be one of those things where uh, I believe it's Arizona's last home game. And uh, they're, they're so if you don't know, Arizona's playing Utah, hosting Utah. So USC needs Utah to lose either to uh, Arizona, who we have number 12 in the Pac-12 power rankings, or Colorado the next week, which we have number 11 in the power rankings. And Colorado's playing at Salt Lake City. So um, the best chance for Utah to lose is this weekend. But like I said, last week, Khalil Tate didn't even start. Maybe there'll be a snowstorm in uh, Tucson or something. Uh, <laughs> although I would like it if they hit Lamar Jackson. Now I, I might, uh, I might actually give uh, Arizona a chance. Unfortunately, Lamar Jackson is not playing in Tucson this weekend, but uh, you can always hope. Uh, Utah has always seemed to have one of those real flat spots uh, in their in their season. And and often in the second half of the season, now they, maybe they've already had it in their opening game against USC. But uh, man, that's a uh, you know, not gonna I'm not gonna watch and 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 wonder if there if there's a chance. Uh, tell me after it's over if they uh, if they stumble. Yeah, well uh, we'll see. But I wouldn't I wouldn't hold your breath, Curtis. Um, he's such an optimist, though. Always right. always optimistic. You right. need to have those people around. Yeah, it's good. We love uh, Curse. And I, they, on the Harvey Hyde show, he took some shots about how good we said this uh, Cal defense is. And well, it's because they were good. And then USC just like. That's what that coach them. told me. Yeah. You, you never know until you play them how they actually uh, turn out to be. Yeah. And you don't know how they're going to play. Who knew? True. I mean, you know, people are saying, wait a minute, isn't Justin Wilcox supposed to be a real defensive guy? And he just. Even he didn't understand that the matchup was so in USC's favor and thought they could play him, you know, straight up. And it turned out they couldn't. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, sometimes even, you know, uh, coaches don't realize that. I mean, you know, this guy's getting paid millions of dollars a year and they watch all the film and they still get it wrong. And, you know, that's why one of the, and I know Pete Carroll always liked to say this. He really liked to see the first few plays in a game to tell how good are our players, how good are their players, how physical, you know, do we have physical advantages? Are we going to get to spots before they do and all that? And again, you don't always know until they line up and they, you know, there it goes. And then you see. And in, in that case, there wasn't even a, it wasn't even close in terms of the, you know, obviously if Garbers keeps playing, their offense looked like it was going to be pretty good. I don't know why they kept giving him, you know, having him take the ball uh, and get, you know, after being out that much to, to get run over. 
But uh, USC was going to score the ball against that defense. There was, there's no question. Yeah. I guess you could say the combination of Justin Wilcox, USC, and defense does not. It continues to be a struggle. Yeah. Very good. Thank uh, you. That's good, Kelly. Well, last year it wasn't a struggle, but that's uh... true. True. And my, it's weird. My buddy Tim DeRuder, too, he's a really good defensive mind. You know, he's a defensive coordinator there. So um, I haven't reached out to him. I'll have to reach out to him after the season and be like, so what the heck happened there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so often, that's, you know, everybody that we talked to from Cal just kept saying, they nobody had a sentence almost after the game uh, in, involved with Cal football who didn't have the words, USC's wide receivers. That's all they could talk about. USC's yeah. wide receivers. Oh, right. USC's wide receivers. Oh, my God. And, again, you know, there was a mismatch there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I guess we're going to wrap things up. Um, pretty good show Probably. here. How long do we go, Ryan? We are at the, you know, close, pushing the hour and a half mark. So Wow. A yeah. long one. It was a pretty good one. All right. Well, let's um, – Let's wrap things up. That's Keely Yor. I'm the um, I'm Dan Weber. <laughs> you're, you're Dan Weber. Oh my God! Like yesterday, like yesterday, I did about three hours worth of podcast. Today, it's you're the end of the season. It happens. It's, yeah, we're ready. We're ready for the end of the season. I don't know if we're ready, but no, we're, we're not. But it's a here. break. <laughs> yeah, a little bit where you don't like. We're doing like five podcasts a week or whatever. It's lots a lot. of words. Lots of there's a lot of words and a lot of talking. When people get mad at like you know uh, talking head or whatever, like someone on TV that talks for like three hours in a row like they said something dumb like it's really hard not to say something dumb when you talk for a long time it will happen yeah because as we probably example yes we say you say a lot of words you're like remember that one word you said three months ago that was wrong like uh sorry like there was there's a lot of words between now and then hopefully Mm -hmm. you liked most of them Mm -hmm. Uh, all right that's keely your dan weber i'm ryan abraham thanks so much for tuning in to the peristyle podcast and we will talk to you next time you may have noticed that shopping at trader joe's is unlike shopping at other markets People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.